710 Sports Hub and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Stay tuned to 710 ESPN Seattle today. We're giving away four packs of Mariners tickets in each of our shows. You need to listen for our cue to call, and you could win four tickets to the August 27th Mariners game. It's a sing-along fireworks night. The Mariners will host the Royals. Then you'll have the chance to belt out the lyrics to some of your favorite songs with thousands of Mariner fans. Find tickets out at Mariners.com. Our training camp coverage is brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. Tell you what, Kerry Hyder's got a great laugh. He does. That little giggle he had, the excitement when, when he asked how close he was to an, an interception and what did he say? Like, define close? Yes, define close. And he might be the most important acquisition defensively this year, especially with Jaron Reed, the issues, whatever they were, leading to his eventual release and him signing with Kansas City. You need to have, as he said, waves of defensive linemen that you can trust, and it does seem like at least based off of his production a couple of times over the course of his career, like he could easily fill that void. It is Danny and Gallant. Right now we bring in Brock Hewitt. It's time for Blue 42. Here we go. This is Blue 42. We're going to go red, right, tight, close, sprint left, GU corner, halfback, flat, on two. Ready, right. Now here's your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Blue 42! Blue 42! <laughs> Brock, I don't know if the preseason has just changed in that now you're not going to see, for the most part, the first-team offenses at all. Now that there's only three preseason games, that's even going to be less opportunities for them. But given that they're installing a new offense, should the Seahawks have been giving their first-team offense some more looks? Because we saw zero on Saturday night in Las Vegas. Well, this is the trend of the league, Paul. I mean, this is where where it's going. I I know that Pete Carroll made a a plant-based turn years ago. And to think, honestly, you know, four or five years ago that you would say to Pete Carroll, do you know that in the year 2021, you won't compete to win every preseason game? That you're going to actually sit as many guys in the top five as everybody else in the league is going to do? And oh, by the way, even with the new offensive coordinator, you're not even going to play your number ones of ones. He would have looked at you with, you know, like you have five eyes. You're crazy. That's not the way we do things. We play. We play our guys. We don't play in fear. Remember the number of times Salk would, would ask Pete, you know, in those on those Mondays in the preseason, like, why would you have Earl Thomas return punts? Why is Richard going to return punts? Why would you put them at any risk in the preseason of injury? And and Pete, honestly, is just like, that's that's not the way we think. That's, you know, we, we, we just don't worry about the downside and play to fear. We go and attack and we compete. And, you know, this is just the year 2021, man. This is where it's at. It is a long marathon of a season. I think that plays a role in it. You're going to play 17 games this regular season. You know what you have, certainly in, in your frontline guys. And you know that you've got to develop your depth. And as I said to you guys yesterday, your depth wasn't good enough game number one and developing that means giving those guys ample opportunity in these preseason games still why do you think pete changed i mean is it just like when he stopped eating meat and he was just like oh i'll try this oh this feels better i've made a plant-based turn and this is incredible it's it's weird why do you think he changed it is i think just from a competitive standpoint his peers in the league are doing it danny I'm sure the, the folks in the uh, in the science and technology sports sector, yeah, sports, you're probably right. Sports science said, "Hey, Pete, this really isn't worth it. The upside of this 
is just really not worth it. We can get a lot of work in, quality work in. We can run 30, 40 plays in, in, a, in a simulated practice with, with tremendous tempo and, and do these things here. So I'm, I'm going to guess it's probably the council that he listens to uh, of those people upstairs that they pay a lot of money to to help him make those decisions over the long haul, Danny. Over 17 games of a season and the attrition that comes uh, with that kind of a marathon that it's just not the upside, just not worth it in preseason anymore. You know what? I, I think you're totally right. Like hearing that the one thing that could change Pete's mind about something like that is data. Like showing him a list, and they track guys' movements now, being able to show him how players moved after a preseason game compared to before it, and saying, like, here's here's the actual toll. Like, here's here's what we've actually observed of, of, of how this affects how guys are able to work in practice. I, I could see that changing. Because and you have so few reps even in practice now, Danny. This isn't, mm-hmm. you know, the old days where you had two-a-days and you had, you know, lots of opportunities. Those, those reps are valuable in practice. It's why... Hopefully we hear the news. Dwayne Eskridge is going to be able to practice and get back on that field and play and get the work in. You have how many padded practices in the entire month of August to get yourself ready to go. So those reps are... That would would make you more likely to play in the preseason of like, we're already missing out on all these reps in practice. We've got to get him somewhere in at least the game. Like that, to me... If that was the fear that we're not getting enough work on the field, that you would be more likely to play guys at the. But the flip side of that is okay. So we get twenty plays in the game, and now I'm going to miss them for two days of practice. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. that's where that data is, right? Like, okay, I played twenty snaps, and and now I'm not even getting it against good on good, right? The other team is sitting thirty five of their guys. So what are my ones versus their twos and threes? What it, how quality rep is that versus Let's go good on good and get make sure I get those 40 to 50 reps in practice on Monday and Tuesday. And I'm not nicked up with a bruise or Geno Smith with a concussion or right. So I, I do. I, you know, the more we talk about this, I think this is totally a data decision from upstairs. From 2018, I'm reading a story off of plantbasednews.org. <laughs> Seattle Seahawks head coach Pete Carroll has credited a plant based diet for keeping him healthy enough to keep working, as well as making his arthritic pain go away. The 66-year-old coach has been asked whether he will step down on a number of occasions. When asked the question on 710 ESPN Seattle's Brock and Salk show, he simply said, quote, I'm not retiring, dude. <laughs> End quote. According to Carol, he is feeling, quote, awesome. End quote. <laughs> I think I remember that day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you guys made it. You made it the big time. Plantbasednews.org. Question two. All right, Brock. I'm going to open this. You're going to be the first person, but we're going to open up a time capsule. Did you say we're going to ask people Did you give me for... a Nick Saban I? I? No, I, I Brock. didn't say that. I. All right, Brock. Oh, thank no, you. No, I don't ever say it. I, I, What's I wrong with saying I? I? Yeah, no. I mean, I, that I, that I, ain't I, me, pro- man. Okay, talk yeah. about the program. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> program. I'm going to open up a time capsule, and I'm going to ask people for different predictions regarding Jamal Adams. Brock is going to be the first one who oh, does this. gosh. All right, Brock. Yes or no? Does Jamal Adams sign a contract extension before game one of the regular season? Yes. Okay. Brock, what is the date that he will sign said contract? What's the date of the Colts game? Colts game is the 11th, correct? No, it's 12th. the 12th. It's the 12th. Sunday the 12th is the Colts yes. game. He is going to sign his contract. Let's see. He's going to sign it September the 8th. 
September 8th. So that is that the Thursday? That's the Wednesday, Wednesday. that week. The work day, the, the really beginning, the grind of the, of the work day week. He's going he's gonna to have that thing done. All right. I'm opening it up. 710-710, the Mac and Jack's te- text line. If you answer no, if you say no, he's not going to sign the contract extension before game one. I want you to tell me whether he plays a full season, whether he sits out at the beginning. If you say yes, I want you to give me the date. Mm. We're going to see who nails this. Paul, mm. what do you think? I was going to say the eighth, but uh, Brock got to go first. <clears throat> so I'm you going to go. It. You could say it there. You're just going to share the glory with Brock. No, no, I'm not. No, because I, I, am, I am a man, and I am going to win where Tim Tebow could not today. So I'm going to go Friday the 3rd. They're going to try to make it a Friday news dump and act like nothing was a big deal. That way he gets the full week of work leading up to game number one. Friday oh, the 3rd. Call. Good call. That's a good call. Danny? I'm saying that, yes, he signs it. And I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with that Monday. They're gonna they're gonna go on the Monday. So the the sixth. Okay. September sixth. They'll have a bonus workout day and that contract Labor Day. I think that's Labor Day. Uh-huh. Labor Day will have a new deal for Jamal. And that deal, by the way, will be the same exact deal that's been sitting on his agent's table for the last three weeks. It's there's yeah, a there, probably there's probably more of me that's worried about this happening than you guys. Like, what's mm-hmm. your level of certainty that this extension gets done, Brock? My level of concern is an eight that it's not going to get done. So oh, really? I, I, so yours well, is very you high. That. Yeah, I told you that, uh, what, 10 days ago or last week yeah. or something like that. That Yeah, that, that there is concern. That is uh, the amount of voices that get in Jamal's head and have conversations with him and family. And, and it's a little bit of an encumbered conversation with his representatives so the, the number of those voices, I think, are incredibly loud, but just the way they do business. I don't know. Was it Florio that wrote this? Somebody wrote this, that this is the way the Seahawks do business. So, yes. And I've watched it for a decade, as have you, Danny, and Paul, the last couple of years. Like, this is so what we do. Jared Allen, here's the best we got for you. I mean, this is the deal that, that we have. Who is the guard? TJ Lang, here's the deal. Yeah. If you can go out and get better, God bless you. Golden Tate, Paul Richards, here's the deal. This is, this is a number we got. This is a number that is we put our amazingly huge flow chart and puzzle pieces together and we plan this is this is how we do business. Bobby Wagner, Russell Wilson. This is this is this is the way it is. So I, I think that deal has been sitting there for a couple weeks, and as much as Jamal and his agent and his family want to scream and yell about it, those numbers aren't changing. Two years of the franchise tag too would seemingly be advantageous for Seattle because they would not be paying him that much if he was under the safety designation, right? We're talking like 13 and then 15 or Correct. $16 million or so. It's not even It's not even just that. It's not even the total money. If, if you're the team, it's at your advantage to go year to year. Yeah. Because what happens if a guy gets hurt? I was looking back. One of the last times a safety played on a franchise tag, safeties and running backs don't play on franchise tags. Justin I mean, Simmons I mean, it has did, happened. right? You, what's that? Didn't Justin Simmons in Denver do that? Did he do that last year? I believe he did last year, Danny. Yeah, I think he played on the franchise tag. That he did, and then this year they finally got the deal done because that number, you know, in year two of that franchise is going to go up. So last year he did. Have there been others? It's safe. Ken Hamlin did after he left Seattle and went to Dallas. A guy named Donovan Darius did. Oh, that with the Jaguars, yeah. like 2005, and Darius got hurt. Yeah, and that was one of the last times you saw. Where guys went, went, went into that franchise tag because, look, if you're the team, you would much rather go year to year. It's your advantage because the thing that can happen that can change it so dramatically, your cost is controlled as far as using the franchise tag. 
And if the guy gets hurt, you're not on the hook for that money. That's right. And and that is the the starting of the negotiating point. Here's here because this is the structure that the league has given us. And we have watched quarterbacks do it, Kirk Cousins. Here's here's the way we're going to lay this thing out. Here here's the the starting point of our conversation. This year you're due X. Yep. We'd be willing to franchise you, as Paul said, around thirteen million the next, fifteen the next. Add those up. What, what do you get over three years, Jamal? I mean that that is in our back pocket. We do not want to do that. We want to make you the highest paid safety in this game. We love you. We don't need a sour working relationship. We don't need to settle for that. But that is the starting point of the conversation. And as you get closer here, you just know the Seahawks don't don't mess around. They don't mess around with these deals. From the 253, do you think Adams is at a point where he gives the Hawks a deadline for this to get done much like Russ did? <laughs> yeah, he could give any deadline he wants. And you know what yeah. Seattle's going to say? Y- yes, okay, we met the deadline. It's the deal that's been on the desk for however long. Like, that's the deal. That That's our deadline deal. Crazy. Question number three. We saw the top 25 rankings for college football released by the Associated Press couple of Pac-12 entries, 25 and 24. You see Arizona State and Utah. At 11, it's Oregon. At 15, it's USC. And at number 20, it's UW. Brock, your yep. beloved dogs. What yes. do you think about that ranking? Woo! I think North that division champs. feels about right for the Pac-12, that nobody's in the top 10. That, that That's kind of where you're sitting going into this season, and you got some mighty, mighty big games against a bunch of those teams in the in the top ten to, to prove otherwise. You've got uh, Oregon at Ohio State. You've got UCLA versus LSU. you got Colorado versus Texas A&M. you got Washington heading to Michigan. You have Big Ten and SEC tilts in the month of September to change that narrative, but that's how I look at it, is 11 through 25, there's, what, five Pac-12 teams, and that's kind of where you stand right now in the landscape of college football, and the only way to change that narrative is to change the outcome of those games or the majority of those games. I feel pretty good about where Washington sits going in. I feel pretty good about this team. I feel better than I have the past two years. I'm excited. There's a bunch of pieces, man. There's a bunch of things that you do like. You love experience up front. You got one of the best offensive lines in college football. You got a, a deep speed, group of wide receiver, deep all that group youth. of tight ends. You've got some speed uh, outside that's that, that's low in production but high in potential. You got a couple NFL people in your secondary, as you seemingly always do. I'd feel better if ZTF was there, a legitimate bona fide can't block a one on one guy because I don't know if they have that. Uh, without him in, in that front is, you know, is is got some pieces, but how many dynamic, game-changing, golly, when you go into Michigan, you need somebody that can wreck the line of scrimmage kind of guys do you have. That is, that's still to be determined, but okay. to run the ball, Is there some, is there some speed ahead. at linebacker? Is there some speed at middle linebacker? Middle linebacker? So-so. Yeah. Weak side linebacker, Yeah. Yeah, outside linebacker, yes. Some length. Yeah, he can he can he can run sideline to sideline preseason wise. There's a lot of expectation and, and hype for him. And Lake's been talking up the depth for what yeah. it's worth. Yep. We'll see. But he's also I've got, been talking I've, up more. I've I I've I've also been very very we'll we'll see. I, I'd like to see a little more speed at middle linebacker. I'd like to yes. see a little more speed there. Brock, it's always great to talk to you. We'll look forward to catching up with you on Thursday. Sounds good, fellas. See ya.
That is Brock Hewer joins us Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays for Blue 42, our training camp coverage brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. Should we open up the phone lines and take some some predictions on this? I feel like the battle lines have fairly well been drawn. I don't know if there's much more to flesh out about what we think is going to happen or how Seattle might approach. It feels like the decisions have been made. Seattle has made its offer. It's a $70 million four-year deal for Jamal Adams that they say this exceeds the template for what we usually do for players of your caliber when we extend them. Jamal Adams' side has said, "Yeah, we're not we're we're not ready to agree to this." And and is certainly making it seem as if there's an impasse and we're not, we're not budging and they're not budging, so so things are there. Is it a matter of what we think is going to happen? Will the player ultimately decide I'm going to take the, the bird in hand, which is this offer that's here, rather than sort of waiting to see how it plays out and seeing if, if I kick it down the road and then decide am I going to play or not? Is, is that – are we kind of at a decision when it comes to that? Well, I, I, I think going back to what you said a little earlier, I, yeah, haven't, haven't decisions been made by both sides? And I, I think the real – the only wrinkle right now is, I guess, if this goes to uh, some sort of arbitration and it's two franchise tags is if Jamal Adams actually has a case – to saying that he's not a safety. And, you know, you could argue that he's not. A box is a very subjective spot, but I guess according to Pro Football Focus, the majority of Jamal Adams' snaps, 351 of his 784, were in the box. Others were a slot corner. Others were on the defensive line. Others were as corner, wide corner. Others were at free safety. So, I... I, I Does it, it I know that guys have said that at defensive end. But that's something you can actually show where you line up at. You can't if you're a safety. You can't say I'm not a safety because I'm in the box. Yeah, right? it's it's subjective. I feel like, like do you, is the, the argument essentially? Hey, they're running they're running a four four defense here. Like that's what it becomes, <laughs> right? Right? Because just because you're in the box doesn't mean you're not a safety. Yeah, and he's positionless. I I think you can make that argument that he's positionless, but I don't think that you can make the argument that he's not a safety. If that makes sense, I feel like he can be slotted as a let's say you know we talk about sports cars he's like a sports linebacker you know he's a he's a fast linebacker but this is not exactly the kind of person that you want to be taking off road he plays safety like that's the that's the spot he plays on the field he's a safety he doesn't play safety in the traditional way that people talk about the safety position though but he plays safety I guess Unless you're telling me that the the template for their defense is something different like he he lines up at safety like that's the spot he does. Is. He line up at safety though. I mean, he yeah. lines up on the field. I, that that that's I, I don't know what if you could really describe the style he plays as safety because everyone wants to put safeties into this box of like, hey, this guy's an important cover player, and and not just I say the free safety position, but also the strong safety. There seems to be this desire to make sure that that guy is this specific kind of player in coverage, and Jamal Adams just isn't that guy. Yet we. All think he's a good player, right? So I, he's a great player. I, I that's that's the big tricky thing with him specifically. I think compared to any other safety, is that you would not even put him into the same conversation as some of the I would say above average cover safeties in the NFL. I, I, let's let's point. No, to- dude, but we don't do that with quarterbacks. 
Like Cam Newton's a different quarterback than everybody else because he runs the ball so much. But it's not like, hey, he's a different kind of quarterback. Like, well, he's the still taking the snaps from under center, right? Where with Jamal Adams, I mean, he's not he is not someone that you're necessarily throwing out in some sort of a coverage situation. His job is essentially I'm going to track down anything that's within eight yards of the line of scrimmage, whether it's to my left or to my right or right up the middle. Well, but Cam Chancellor was a safety. What's different? What's different about the way that Jamal Adams played than the way Cam Chancellor? Like, there was never any any sort of sense that Cam Ch- Cam Chancellor's yeah. a linebacker. Like, his value is as a safety. Well, you'd be able to speak to this better than me. But w- were they lining him all over the field the same way that the Seahawks were lining up Jamal Adams? Because with with Adams, it's it's very interesting to see all the spots. I mean, you know, almost a hundred snaps on the defensive line. I mean, that's that's something. I I, I don't know if that was. At least to that volume. So does that mean that he gets a hundred snaps credit at defensive end? Like that's that's not that's not how it works, right? Like wide receivers, you don't have a slot receiver designation. You don't have an outside receiver designation. Like even when Jimmy Graham tried to argue that he was not a tight end, he was a wide receiver because of how many times he split out wide. Like that's that's not how it works. I think I I think that the NFL would love to have a slot receiver designation, though. That you bring it up because that would definitely allow them to pay a lot less for some of those guys that are playing in the slot. But yeah, you're right with Jimmy Graham. Yeah, he, and he tried to make the case that I mean, look, Jimmy Graham was a wide receiver. <laughs> you know, he's not a guy who could block. No, he was a tight end. He wasn't a very good blocking tight end. But he was a tight end. His, like that's the position he played. His skill set fit more though that of I think a wide receiver. But that—that's a different. I guess that's the thing. Every player, when they're in a certain spot, they bring certain assets to that position and certain liabilities. Jamal Adams is a safety, and one of his assets as a safety is the size and speed that he combines. Right. That he can, if you get him in a one-on-one blocking matchup, if you assign a tight end to block him, or if you assign a running back to block him, one of, one of Jamal Adams' advantages is that he is going to be harder to match up with in that situation. Doesn't that sound like a linebacker? No, it doesn't, because he's also responsible for the coverage things, and if you get him locked up in those coverage responsibilities, he's on the field as a safety. It's not like they're playing four linebackers or putting a different linebacker in the scheme. It's it, there's not some sort of where he morphs into the way that teams account for him is they account for him as a safety. I, I understand what you're saying, but aren't linebackers asked to do more now? And it almost sort of crosses over into some of the same responsibilities as safeties because you mentioned you, you just said a moment ago linebackers in coverage, I would say, what, 10, 15 years ago, were we seeing the same degree of linebackers in coverage that we are now? Where the no, guys are at the top level? because teams didn't throw the ball as much. Because teams ran the ball more. And because now you see more multiple receiver sets, and they're more often going with either 11 personnel or not having any running backs. Three and four wide receivers are, are kind of the standard sets that are there, and that means your linebacker has to has to play more. There's a difference between is a defense a nickelback? Is he a linebacker because he's coming in and playing the spot of a linebacker? No, he's not. Right. So see that that is a strong argument against him. But I do think that linebacker responsibilities and certain safety responsibilities have sort of become this same area where it's it's generally the same kind of responsibilities that they're now being asked to do. So that's where I think Adams would have a case. But to that point you just made about the nickel corner, you're right. Like that is. I mean, the guy is covering essentially a slot wide receiver or he's going to be maybe lined up against a tight end. It's, it's just interesting to see guys like, say, in Arizona with Isaiah Simmons coming into the league. Isaiah Simmons is sort of in this same kind of mold where 
I don't know that he's a linebacker. I know that they would probably describe him as a linebacker, but this is a guy who at college was playing all, you know, safety and, and, and all over the field. So that's where I, I, I think – I don't think that Jamal Adams is going to win this argument, but I do wonder like five to ten years from now if maybe we're talking about this entirely different. I have a hard time thinking that Jamal Adams, if he was a linebacker, would be one of the five best linebackers in the league. He is one of the five best safeties. I think he's one of the top two or three best safeties because of the combination. But if you're saying that he's a linebacker, how much would he make? How good would he be if you put him at middle linebacker? He's not big enough. Like, he'd get hurt. He'd break down. He's not a linebacker. He's a safety. I guess if you were to put him into into that box, that he would have to bulk up as a result. But, yeah, you're right. And then he'd lose his speed. Like, what he does well, he brings specific assets to the safety position that he would not have as a linebacker. It's Danny Gallant. We'll take your calls. Also, give away tickets. That's coming up. But do you have a prediction for how the Jamal Adams impasse will sort itself out? We'll take your calls next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. I'm curious to know what the people think. You think Jamal Adams is going to accept the extension that's on the table? Because basically we're asking who's going to budge. Is it going to be the Seahawks or is it going to be Jamal Adams? And if neither side budges, it no deal gets done, and then there's a question of whether or not Jamal Adams plays. So 206-421-3776. Here's the criteria. Say yes, he has a deal done. Jamal Adams has an extension done by game one. No, he does not. If you say yes, give us a date. We'll keep score. We've, we've, we're logging some. You can text it into 710-710, the Mac and Jack's text line. If no, how many regular season games does he play? Is he available for? Meaning, not because of injury, but he, he doesn't hold out. Does he play the whole season? Does he, does he play half the season? I do wonder about, from an injury standpoint, if he is going to be able to go all 17 games now. But if we're talking about it from when he's going to show up, yeah, when does he show up? How many games does he sit out because he's unhappy about not getting an extension? Man, I, I, I just have a hard time seeing him sitting out games, and maybe I'm sort of fatally optimistic like Pete Carroll describes himself, but I just am having a hard time seeing him pass on money this year when he hasn't gotten that big-time deal. And I feel like there's probably a part of him, too, that feels like he could perhaps prove otherwise that – he is worth all of this with a full season where he's fully healthy. But then again, I mean, he hasn't been at training camp. There's not necessarily any extra edge that he might have coming into this defense other than that the Seahawks maybe know how to use him better. 206-421-3776. We've got phone lines open if you want to have a uh, express your opinion. Uh, Adams will blink. Yes, game one. That's 509. No, doesn't play at all from the 406. Now, that part's not going to happen. If he says no to the extension, and he he's going to eventually report. He might miss the first six. I guess he could even miss the first eight games. But he is not. He is going to show up simply because you need to play half the season. Otherwise, the contract just the term for it is tolls. He'll be under the exact same deal next year. Right. So he would show up for half the season. The worst case scenario for the Seahawks in this case is. 
He says no to the extension. Seattle doesn't budge. He misses the first half of the season, shows up for the second half, and then you deal with the question of what to do all over again with the likelihood that you place the franchise tag on him. He would, at the very least, want to get the franchise tag next season as opposed to, yeah, as you just said, have the contract. No, his his yes, he wants to get out of this contract. Right. His goal would then to become an unrestricted free agent. Yes, it would. And, and I mean, if he were to somehow pull off the argument that he's a linebacker and not a safety, then maybe there's a better chance of that because we would be talking about, I think, $17 million as opposed to $13.5 million. It's a little extra money, and look, the, that money's going to be important because of the DK Metcalf extension that's coming up because the NFL salary cap is not expected to go up significantly this coming season because of the COVID-19 losses. And also, too, I mean, I would imagine there are some questions about what happens with Dwayne Brown. And if we're talking about some sort of a one-year deal with all the guarantees up front, that's going to give them a little bit less space to work with potentially, too. Best case for scenario for Seattle is... He signs the extension, right? And this is, and everybody says after it's done, oh, it took some last minute adjustments to get here. We're just glad it's over, and everybody is is happy about the long term. If you're Seattle, though, are you that disappointed or bummed if he says, no, I'm not signing the extension, but he is available to play week one? Like, do you look at it and say, okay, that's hey, you're taking you're taking a chance on yourself, and we'll revisit this over the course. Once we get to the off season, but are you that bummed if you're Seattle and that's the course this takes? Some people will frame it that way. I look at it from this perspective. What have you really gotten out of your first round picks? Were you guaranteed with either of the first round picks that you traded to get Jamal Adams to get someone of that caliber? It would be a net loss to mm-hmm. have missed out on two first round picks and potentially never get a long-term extension with Jamal Adams done. But if ultimately we're talking about, I don't know, two years where he's under the rookie contract and two years where it's a franchise tag and a franchise tag, would two first-round picks be worth it in totality for Jamal Adams? I tend to say yes. I'm not thrilled with that answer, but I don't know that you would be getting necessarily somebody with these picks that you're getting at the back of the first round that's going to be an eight, ten-year kind of player, which is what you're hoping for. No, probably for. not. What, what reasonable expectation for a guy you draft in the back half of the first round is Jermaine Effetti. Yeah, like that's and nobody wants to hear that. But like Jermaine Effetti is a totally fine use of a of a latter half of the first round. Pick. Right. That's a, that's that's about the middle of the road. I mean, I would say a lot of these guys don't even make it to the end of that rookie contract. Start starts four years, ends up going somewhere else and plays like James Carpenter. Yeah. Nobody wants to hear this. James Carpenter's totally fine use of a first round pick. It's not good. And I'm not going to say like, hey, they were overwhelmed by it. But like, if you were looking for an average, like an ex, what you should expect or can reasonably expect from. Like, that's what it is. You, you you hope for a lot more. The expectations placed on first-round picks are unrealistic generally. So I, I, I think to to go back to the first question that you had asked there, Danny, is is it a failure for Seattle to not get him signed to a long-term deal? I would say maybe from an optics standpoint for some, yeah. I don't think it would be, though. If he only plays two years and you end up 
losing two first round picks, one of which you haven't even made yet in a third round, that's a disaster. It is, but it won't. It, they would never let it get to that point, right? I mean, there's. I no, don't think so. I think at the very least you would get something because you franchise tagged him. Right. At the very least, you would get something because of that. And well, they. But if if they don't end up getting any sort of long term long term contribution, it it is. If if that's what you paid for two two seasons, that w- that would be a disaster. We want to send one of you to the August twenty seventh Mariners game. Call two zero six four two one three seven seven six or eight six six nine seven nine three seven seven six. Wait one minute if you're listening on the radio, or thirty seconds if you're on the stream. Caller number three will win four tickets to the Mariners sing along fireworks night on August 27th. That is courtesy of our friends at the Mariners. You can get tickets at Mariners.com coming ahead. What coaches in the NFL have the shortest, the the shortest grace period coming up this season? Oh yeah. And hope solo maybe chiming in on something. She's not qualified to talk about Locker, mm. locker room solidarity. We'll discuss that next. You're listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Some coach is going to get murked this year, Danny. Yeah. It's just a matter of when. Credit to Matt Nagy, a true survivor in Chicago. How he still is in charge as the Bears move on from the... Mitchell Trubisky, we traded for Nick Foles for some reason era, to now Justin Fields. Look, I got to say, of all the rookie quarterbacks that I watched, I, I felt like he was the most impressive from this week's um, weekend's preseason games. I Justin Fields looked good. Yeah. I didn't when he came out and said, actually, the game was pretty slow for me, and then reading that the Bears are, what, they signed Jason Peters? Yeah. Like they excavated Jason Peters and gave him a significant chunk of money, which excavated. seems to reek of desperation. Like it does. Like he's he's been too old for a couple of years for the Eagles, who have been forced to bring him back. Nagy and Vic Fangio in Denver are two guys where I'm not sure what their path out is. Right? I'm not sure what their path to keeping their job is. Fangio, everyone loves his defense. This is a across the NFL thing. That does not necessarily mean he deserves job security. No, but how, he's a head coach. How he's a head coach? How can you win though with those two quarterbacks? They stink. Drew Locke yeah, is but not that's, good. But that's part so of the hand that he's dealt. I don't. I don't think he does himself any favors by the way he manages that. I. What's the path out for Vic Fangio? That Drew Locke wins ten games this year as your starter. Probably nine games. I mean, I think if they're plus five hundred, there's a chance, but they actually have to make a real push to getting that next quarterback, whether it's Aaron Rodgers or somebody else, over the course of either this year, before the trade deadline, or next year. Because I'm with you from the perspective of there is a very, very low probability of Fangio being able to win with either of those two. I mean, Bridgewater is a backup game manager. You know, Nagy, Nagy and Fangio are the most foreseeable fires. Hmm. What about Joe Judge? Joe, Joe Judge Ju- is a Joe Judge. People are trying to sell you on him. Like the Giants are not going to give up on him over the course of this season. I'd be surprised if they fired him. Honestly, they've been so finicky with their coaches over the last couple of years. I would argue I, that they're getting into the Jets' territory as far as instability inside their organization. I think they're firing him after this season. I'm saying during this year, 
during this year. And if they if they win if they win nine games, Judge won't get fired. If Nagy wins nine ga- nine games, he still might get fired. If Fangio wins nine games, he still might get fired. Okay. So there's a you see I see a path for Joe Judge. I think it's gonna flame out ridiculously, and I think he's canned after the season goes over. But I see a path toward him saving his job. I guess I I guess I see a path too, but does the path even matter when Daniel Jones is the one guiding no, you down this not path? Really. Yeah, I, I, I think there's a chance it's so easy to blow up the giant situation that Gettleman, Judge, yeah. and Daniel Jones by mid season that I I if I had to pick my number one you know, if we're doing a little uh, odds here or futures bet, uh, a death pool, then I would say it's Joe Judge at the top. Oh, the most likely guy getting fired is Zach Taylor in Cincinnati. You think just, so? There's no, there's no chance that happens during the regular season. Cheap. The, Bengals, the Bengals will never fire someone. They will never fire someone during the season. They well, will never pay someone not to coach them. Will they fire him before the end of his contract if they have to pay him money and he's I not think, actually? I think he's. I think he's out of there after this year. I think. I think he's done. Mm. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury needs to make the playoffs for him to even have a shot, for him to even have a chance. And then there would be two guys that I would give you. There's no chance they get fired during the year. But if these teams don't make the playoffs, I'd keep a real firm eye on them in the off season. Sean McVay, John Harbaugh. Those are my two long shot. Like, d- if there was going to be a surprise coaching move, I-, I think that those two guys, there's no chance that would happen during the season. But I-, I think depending on how things break, you could, there's a scenario where I see those two guys who everybody considers entrenched would would not end up being coaches for their teams the next year. I, I think each, though, has saved their job sacrificial lambs that are in the way. Harbaugh has Greg Roman as offensive coordinator, and McVay has less need as the general manager of the team. I, I think Sneed and his managing of this roster has created an extremely top-heavy situation that a couple of injuries could really send down the wrong path. If Matthew Stafford doesn't play well for the Rams or is not a, a noticeable upgrade, from Jared Goff, I, I would agree that this. I think Sneed's attached to McVeigh as opposed to McVeigh being attached to Sneed, and I don't think they would think twice about canning Sneed. And if Stafford doesn't work out there, and you've got a new stadium, I, I could see them pulling the plug on McVeigh. I think that's I think that's foreseeable. I don't think it's likely. I think it's like a twenty percent chance, but. They've got an awful lot invested on Matthew Stafford being an upgrade, and Sean McVay's basically spent two years saying the problem is my dumb quarterback, and now he's got the quarterback he wanted, so it better work. I'm also curious about Kyle Shanahan on that same front. Oh, really? The win-losses have not been good. I mean, he's had one winning season to this point. I don't know if San Francisco is going Super Bowl to... that year though, and they did an honest to God rebuild. Like yeah. unlike a lot of these other teams, they did do an honest rebuild. They did, and they quarterbacks gotten hurt twice. Invested a lot in said new quarterback too. I wonder if there's another bad year for San Francisco. If at the very least the conversation begins, sort of like the same with McVay. I I, I don't think though for McVay or for. For Shanahan, there's a chance of them getting canned. I do think, though, that they maybe could be on the hot seat going into the next season, if that makes sense. If Shanahan, if the 49ers miss the playoffs each of the next two years, I, I'd agree with you. I think, I, I think there'd be some, some hard conversations about Shanahan. I don't see a possible scenario where Shanahan doesn't have that job going into next year. I do see a scenario. I could see McVay having, getting pink slipped after the season, depending on how things go. 
We saw an interesting story yesterday coming out of soccer and the U.S. women's national team. Hope Solo, who of course played for the team, did not think too much of... Go Huskies. <laughs> Are you that thrilled about no. that association? No. Uh, not thrilled about Megan Rapino and her protesting ways to the point where she felt that Rapino was bullying other members of the team, I guess, into falling in line with her, to joining her in solidarity. But I wonder if that's actually true because, I mean, Hope Solo wasn't there for the U.S. women's national team when Megan Rapino started doing that. Right. Solo had been, because she got suspended and then basically kicked off. After the last Olympics, she criticized Sweden, I think said they played like a bunch of cowards. The U.S. women's national team suspended her for six months and then indicated they weren't going to renew her contract. She was eventually fi- she was essentially fired, and the the U.S. women's national team only began kneeling after that. So Hope Solo was never in the locker room. She was not a part of the team when that protest started. I wonder where then this is coming from. Do you think this is from conversations with some of her ex teammates? that maybe felt this way and Solo's the outspoken one willing to share it with the rest of the class? Maybe, but she's also been pretty ardently critical of the U.S. women's national team for the four years since she got she got booted. Um, Easy I, picking season right now with them losing to Canada in the Olympics. Yeah. Well, they lost in the last Olympics, too, and Hope Solo was there, and that's when... Mm. Look... Here's what I would say. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if Hope Solo should be considered the the conscience of the locker room and be the the authority on locker room solidarity. Considering <laughs> that in 2007 she got ostracized from the team, right? She she criticized the coach for starting Brianna Scurry in a in a World Cup quarterfinal, the World Cup semifinal that they lost by four goals, and basically the the whole rest of the team stopped talking to her, and. Then in 2012, she was really mad at Brandy Chastain and kept saying things on Twitter because she felt that Chastain wasn't positive enough in in her, in her coverage uh, and commentary. As, at that, Chastain is not on the team. I mean, she's obviously a legendary person. And and then, well, and then there was 2000. Was it 2014 when Hope Solo's husband Jeremy Stevens was arrested? Oh boy. on suspicion of DUI while she was driving the national team back. So I guess just all considered, given given that she's been suspended on two different occasions, ostracized once, maybe she's not the authority on what is the most cohesive locker room behavior. I'm just going to go out on a ledge and say that. I wonder if somebody else weighs in on it, but yeah, not exactly the one that you want. I guess avant garde uh, with the. Take she's that not Rapino's the person a bully. that's speaking. Like, right, somebody's like, I'm telling you the honest. Like, she's got an agenda against the U.S. national team, and she's also, during her tenure with that national team, was hardly a unifying force. Danny O'Neill, Paul Gallant. Danny and Gallant, 710. ESPN Seattle. Yes, go dogs indeed. Up next, the Seahawks did not play any of their starters in the first preseason game. That seems to be a trend across the league. Is it the right way to go? Should Seattle maybe be taking things the same way that Kansas City has been, where they're putting their first-team offense out there? to open up the preseason game, especially as they try to install a new one under Shane Waldron. We'll talk about that next and more. Don't go anywhere.